We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash hack it out. Just go to Indeed.com slash hack it out right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash hack it out. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Hack It Out podcast with myself, Mark Crossroad, Lou Stagner, and Scott Fawcett. And we're lucky enough to have Michael Breed back with us today. And we're talking coaching. Thank you for joining us, Michael. Pleasure to be with you guys. I look forward to another very intriguing conversation. Indeed. I always love your chats and your thoughts <laughs> and your opinions that you share with us. We're talking coaching and how it's changed and if students have benefited or not over the years. Should be a fun chat. We've got Scott and Lou in the background listening to the two coaches as well but i'm sure they've got something to say should be a fun episode so let's start with let's say hello to scott and lou first so people know you're there hello scott and lou gentlemen how are you michael's it's great good to have to you see back you too by the way i've got i kind of feel like when i'm looking at you guys i, I gotta cut my hair next time i gotta bring it right down to the wood yeah. that's what yeah. i gotta do with you we, guys. we're not the hairiest podcast out there i have to I want, I want the record to show mine is by choice because it gets super curly but it is yeah, there I see it. michael if i could if i could grow a full head of hair like you i would my friend it just doesn't grow in all those places anymore yeah. we should have called it the very unhairy gold podcast right so coaching um and Initial question to kick us off, Michael, how has it changed over the years for you? For me, I've seen it really develop yourself. I'm sure you were pre-video analysis era, wouldn't you? Well, I think there's a lot of different things. Look, one word, it's technology, right? I mean, you think about where we are now and the, the technology world has changed dramatically. I remember buying my first camera in 1988 and using that. And now think about where that is. That's in the, I spent... I spent a, a, a few years after that over $3,000 on a camera. Now my camera comes in my phone. And, and you think about how people consume golf nowadays. It's a completely different thing. Golf Channel has gone AWOL, right? You, we have all these different podcasts like this one here across the board. I mean, how has coaching changed? It's changed with how the world has changed. The other thing that I think is really important to understand about all this is from a coaching standpoint, we have only ever at a maximum tapped into about 10% of the market. 90% of the market hasn't taken golf lessons. Nowadays, what we, what we have is a way to reach that 90%. And the way we do that is by recording like you do such a great job of, um, recording a, a, 
an instructional tip on how to use the ground more effectively or how to position your head. You're doing wonderful jo uh, a job lately on how to get your hands on the, on the club and the importance of the grip. I just watched that uh, yesterday. Fantastic. And that's now out there all the time for people to consume when they want, which is the final part of this thing. And that is, is that I no longer have to worry about two schedules in instruction. I don't have to worry about any schedules. I can shoot when I want instructional information that you can get when you want to help you improve your game. And so what I, what I believe is, is that I think it's, it's a better experience than it's ever been because what we do is we land our plane faster and we speak to what somebody wants to, to, to pay attention to. The one challenge is the coach is no longer able to govern what the student pays attention to. And as a result, it's very easy for the student to get off base. Definitely. It's a double-edged sword, isn't it? The more you give to people at such a freely consumable rate. Uh, I used to say it to my mum, my mum, who's a little bit try everyone's tip. I used to say to her, you don't need everyone's medicine. Like you wouldn't go into my medicine cabinet and just take one of everything. You need your own yeah. specified medicine that is going to work for you. And I think that's where your YouTubes and Instagram tips and all those other things definitely can really fall down. I'm not sure that you can ever really combat that because I think that's a more often than not, I see that as a personality thing. So where you know what the students are like, you'd, I'd get a student questions. I would ask them among many questions were like, have you had lessons before? And they would say, yeah, I've had one of this guy and that guy and this guy and that guy. And I instantly knew that lesson that that student was going to be, flittering their brain general patterns was they were going to be all over the place and i would have to try and work my hardest to bring them into focus and if i couldn't they would just jump from instructor to instructor where now they can do that online can't they which is obviously equally as dangerous as well as it can help well it's an interesting thing you bring up because the fact of the matter is is that this has always been in the game of golf. You go back to the very first instructional book that's ever been written. That was written in 1857 by a guy named H.B. Farney. And from that moment in 1857 to 2021, there's been more instruction written about the game of golf than any other sport. I mean, the, the library of instructional books that I have in my house is over a thousand. Martin Hall, who's a close friend, has a, a, an instructional uh, a library that's over 3,000. We've had Golf Digest, Golf Magazine, Golf Tips Magazine, all producing content. And so when you think about it, there's always been massive amount of instruction out there. It's just been in a 2D space. Now it's in a 3D space. Now there's a visual component to it as well. And that adds to, to more of it. And then finally, it's this thing right here. It's the, the phone. phone. He's holding his phone. I have yeah. my library with me everywhere I go. Whereas before, if I wanted to learn, um, you know, what H.B. Farney had to say or any of the great instructors, instructors, and I've got books by Morrison and Kelly and everybody back here. But before, you'd have to bring that book with you and then you'd have to make time for you to sit down and read. And the amount of time that it would take you to get through, I mean, the golfing machine, I'm still trying to figure that thing out. I've had it for over 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> and then obviously technology on the actual lesson tee has changed. Michael, I presume like you, I've been in your studio, obviously you're using cameras for production. Uh, you've, you've also got launch monitors or simulators, haven't you? I know that you've probably dabbled with 
false plates or at least been on them and learn knowledge from them. And I think you've also probably used uh, 3D capture vests and suits and what have you, or at least seen them. Um, the tools out there for a coach now definitely allow um, for the, the teacher to, I think the biggest change for me I've seen is that I'm able to get from a static position with a student, a new student trying to work out what they're about to hitting the nail on the head very, very quickly, like within a few shots, if the information is extracted from them correctly, where back in the day, like half hour lessons on the lesson tee, you could be like in the last five, 10 minutes and you're still thinking, cool, I still not crack this. Like I'm still trying to work out how that player is hitting that shot. So I think what the technology has done for me is allow me to really get to the root course super, super fast that in turn just offers more value to the student, I always think. Well, I'll tell you this. One of the things that technology has done for me is it's removed the argument. Yeah, 100%. and the argument to me is is well, this is what you're doing. No, 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 that's not what I'm doing. And I think by removing the argument, what it really has done for me, it, it has united me with my student. And as a result, you know, one of my favorite quotes from Henry Ford is, "Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right." And when I go back to the lessons that I gave before I had all this technology, I had a lot of lessons that didn't work. And they did, it's not that, that I didn't know what I was doing, or it's not that my eye was deceiving me, it's that their feel was deceiving them. And I had the battle. And now I don't have the battle. Yeah. Now I go, hey, here's what you were doing, whether it's a video camera or a launch monitor or a simulator or whatever, I have real information that there is no doubt about, right? If I have a doubt, it's not the, the doubt of what my student is, is comprehending for me. It's, is the information that I got out of whatever it is, is it actually correct? And if it's not correct, right? Like when I sit there and I'm not trying to beat up TrackMan, but TrackMan does a, a marvelous job at following a golf ball. And following a golf ball in April on a brand new range when I have brand new golf balls and following the golf ball in August when the, when the golf ball has been beat to you know what, and they make a swing and the ball does something that is unexpected, that's when you have the problem. And so for me, I love technology because it removes my fight. I don't, I'm, I'm on the same team as my, as my student. And that is, of all of it, it's the greatest gift. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, I agree. And Lou, you're obviously someone uh, uh, who actually plays golf, would have had lessons. When was your last actual physical lesson one-to-one -one with a person? Because I know you've kind of had tips from Clay Ballard, who you can check out online. He does lots of uh, coaching stuff um, on YouTube and in other places. Have, have, you, when, have you had one-to-one -one lessons, Lou, or when was the last one? Uh, I have. I've had, I've had a few. The last one was uh, a year and a half ago. What technology um, was used, just out of argument, uh, interesting? Yeah. Uh, GC quad. Yeah. So it was Would you go quad. for a lesson um, not using a quad? Like, was that part of the reasons you went to whoever you went to? 
Well, I, I think Michael brings up a great point in, in that technology allows you to show the student what the real is or feel versus real. We know that, that there's a, a huge gap between those. And it, it's really, it's always been fascinating to me to think what I'm doing and think I'm completely over exaggerating something and then look at it on video or look at it um, uh, you know, just, with, yeah. uh, on a force plate, whatever the case may be. Um, it, it's, it's incredible to me. It's, it's just incredible what, what you learned from that. Not too long ago, uh, I was with, you probably know him, Dom mm-hmm. DeGiulia. Uh, you, I'm sure you guys do. know Dom. I, I went to Dom's studio and, and, and um, you know, just being there and talking with him, uh, we ended up doing some on-the-spot lessons, and he has all the technology you could want. And being on a force plate, that was the first time I was on a force plate. It was fascinating to see what I was actually doing uh, compared to what I thought I was doing, what how I thought I was being really effective with the ground, but but I wasn't. And and those kind of tools allow you to understand what is actually happening and then make changes. And I I think the technology helps to speed up the it learning definitely. process for somebody yeah, like and me. Then, I mean, I relate them, and the golf industry has said this for years. This isn't my term, but people relate them to X-ray machines. Just imagine going to a doctor about an X-ray machine, and you wanted to know if you've got a broken bone or not. They're going to go on what you're saying, where you push, what you can or can't do. They want to X-ray. They want to look into that person. And it's the same when you talk about when I use my swing catalyst force plates. You know, I'm seeing what they have no clue what they're feeling, and I'm able to measure and quantify if it's something that needs moving. And the launch monitor did the same. Most amateurs, your general amateur golfer, how much dynamic loft do you deliver with a driver? Well, they don't know the answer to that question. Not only know because I've hit number and number of balls on launch monitors and those are my patterns. So it, it allows us to look inside of you and then work back and deal with your emotions. I always think of it as dealing with a student's emotions. So I've got driver excite them or calm them down or gently persuade you that your emotions are ridiculous because that's not actually what's happening and the machine as michael was saying often allows us to quantify that attack on your emotions i always think for sure the only thing i'll say is i I do um i do have a beef with you instructors and bring it on (laughs) all right here we we go so my beef with you instructors has to do with uh, some of the fancy terminology that you use. I'm dumb. I'm not a smart guy. And when you, when I hear, well, you know, you, you're in P6 and you over rotate and you're going to dump it under and then you're going to. P6 is complex. <laughs> and I, well, listen, I'm not well, a smart go, guy. It's a letter and a here number. Go, to defend those terms. Okay. So whenever I do coaching videos, if I use extension in the lead wrist, I'll always try and say cupped as well. I'll try and use the dumb and the real you know, the, 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 the real term for it. The problem, if you don't have a universal language, which, which is why golf coaches push that way, is you start having discussions about nothing because you're not actually talking about the same movement, the same movement in the body. So the reason you've seen a push towards that, I think, in recent years is one, some coaches just like to use big words because they make them think that they're clever, which I always think is a shame. Two, there is a push amongst good coaches, and I'd be interested to see what Michael says on this as well, where we are fed up of terms. Like, I, I'm not a massive fan of open and close, for instance, because a face isn't anything until it's delivered. But it's a term that still I will use to relate to the audience. So if I've got a face at the top of the backswing that's pointing up to the sky, so let's go down the line, DJ style, open or closed, face up to the sky, Michael? Well, they would call that closed. Collect. Are you happy with that, Lou? Closed? 
and Scott, sure. we're going to call that closed. Will it end anything? Yep. Because it hasn't hit the ball yet. So that face can be delivered open to a path. It can be open to zero. It's nothing. When I did a study recently, or a couple of years ago, actually, on this, the biggest thing that it changed was the loft. So when you twisted the face around to these open and closed positions, then tried to hit any kind of functional shots, it wasn't the open or closed that changed. That changed a percentage. The biggest percentage that changed was the loft. So I say to my students, top of the backswing, if your face is pointing up the sky, why are you taking all the loft off that club? You're de-lofting it. And that's often how gears would deliver it. Gears will give you a loft at every point of the swing. It'll tell you what loft that club is because obviously loft is three-dimensional face open to bath. So anyway, I'm digressing and using, I know uh, um, Lou's, he's, he's, um, he's blurred out there, yeah, because <laughs> he doesn't know what I'm on about. Um, what do you think about with the terminology, um, Michael? Because I know when I watch your instruction, what I love about your instruction is you do talk to the everyday golfer very well. You are not a big very one much. for flexion, extension, and owner and radio and all those kind of things. I, what, what were your thoughts? Um, here's what I would say. What I would say is, is that one of the one of the biggest learning experiences I ever had in instruction was I was teaching a guy who had a massively open club face at the top. The toe was hanging down, or maybe even slightly. Lofted. Yes. <laughs> so. I said to the guy, I want you to close the club face more at the top. And when he got to the top, he actually had cupped his wrist more and opened up the club face a little bit more. And I finally said to him, I held the club up in the air and I said, show me what open and closed means to you. And he did the exact opposite. Yeah, he put the face yeah. to the sky and said it was open. Yeah. And at that point, wow. what I learned was my job is to be the dumbest guy in the room. That's 100%. my job. If I'm yeah. the smartest guy in the room, I lose my audience. And so the reason why I do what I do is because I want to make sure that that Lou thinks to himself, I understand what he's talking about. That's easy. All I have to do is speak Lou Stagner language. And and what I find is, is that it's all communication, right? If I speak, if if I go to church and they're presenting in English, okay, I got a chance to get a message out from that. If I go and they're speaking Latin, I don't have a chance. It's an emotional experience, but I don't have a chance. And I know that that as a result is gonna make me not wanna go back. And what I want is I want people to play the game of golf and I want them to feel like they are the smartest person in the room and they do understand the game of golf and it isn't this elusive thing. And by the way, it's just like a relationship. My ego doesn't matter. I, it's not, I, I don't want to pound my, my chest and go, see, I'm the smartest guy. Yeah, yeah. And I get that from Albert Einstein when Einstein, who we all will admit was a pretty bright guy, when they asked Albert Einstein, when he knew he had his stuff figured out, he had a next door neighbor who had an eight-year-old daughter. And he said, when I could take what I've done and explain it to her so she had it, I knew I was able to do it. And to me, that's the thing that's in my head. And what I say to people who are coaches all the time is be the dumbest person in the room and you'll be the smartest person in the room. Yeah, that's that's. That's that's really interesting. So I've been watching and listening to Breeder forever, right? He's been a part of our golf yeah. life forever. And and I don't need to plug your show, but 
a new breed of golf on Sirius XM every morning. I've been listening to it forever. And I can't tell you how many times you've had someone call in with some type of swing issue and to hear you diagnose it on the air and untangle it in a way that makes sense to guys like me is what I think we need more of in instruction is speaking at that level. And the way you just put it there, um, I, I wish more instructors uh, would do that because some of the instructors I've been to in the past take the opposite approach. They want to impress me with, with you know, what's on page 12 of the golfing machine. And, and I don't understand what's on any yeah, of the pages yeah. of the golfing machine. Yeah, I so haven't read that far. I'm still away. on page eight. <laughs> <laughs> so, Scott. You're on, you're on page yeah, yeah. Scott, what are your thoughts of how it's changed? Because obviously you would have had lessons when you were a young competitive player. And then you kind of stopped and you've come back as an adult. Um, who's kind of, well, you are in golf with your business with Decade, but you are still, you've got a business and a family. So I presume you haven't had a particular lesson recently, have you? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, you know, Como and I have been best friends for, you know, 15 years. So I've worked on with him intermittently. And then a guy named Jeff Barton at Preston Trails here in yeah. Dallas is a great instructor that after I, I played poorly at the Texas Am in 2019, and it was the first time literally in about eight years where I'm like, huh, I actually kind of need to get an eyeball on my swing here. Because normally I can just kind of show up and do it. And I finally played so little. And he did a great job of he just, just swaying off of it too much. He didn't use any big yeah, words. Yeah. And it, it, to me... The, the question of where you're going with is obviously is just terminology. To me, it really is just a function of knowing your audience. And so I asked Mark Blackburn just the other day, I texted him about something. And then I was talking about like, I actually have never been on force place because again, I really haven't worked on my swing in almost 10 years. And I think that that's one of the things like obviously TrackMan and, and, and Foresight and all those are all really important machines. But I really think that the, the and again, as a layperson. I think that the information a force plate is going to give an instructor is going to be able to give the player a feel to work from. Like if the, if the, if the pressure trace isn't correct, he'll be able to say like, I need you pushing backwards. So a feel that they'll be able to go to in order to get that trace going where they want it to. But I mean, Mark Blackburn replied in a text to me, Lou, brace yourself. Frontal plane torque, horizontal plane torque equals total torque equals angular momentum. I don't know what he's talking about, but he knew he could say that to me and because I'm just taking it in. It's, it's about knowing who you can and can't say what to. And I, I gave a speech at the college coaches convention a few years ago and a pretty big name instructor was on just in front of me and I sat there and I'm like, I kind of know what he's talking about, but not really, just a little bit laughing to myself. And then in my booth later on, I was like, hey, do you enjoy such and such? They're like, I don't know what he said. <laughs> I, I, everyone seemed to be taking it in and I'm not kidding. A hundred percent of the people I asked What'd you think? They said, I had no idea what he's talking yes. about. That is, it, it was an amazing speech. I kind of knew what he was talking about. It was actually really good, but if it doesn't fit your audience, and this again is college golf coaches, like not lay people and hundred percent had no idea what the guy was talking yeah. about. That makes it a really bad speech in my yeah, opinion. Absolutely. That leads me on to the second question then, because nicely. So is it got better for students or has it got or become more complicated. So with the use of technology, has it actually become easier or more complicated for students? And I think you could look at this in, a, in any way. The thing I always remember of any of the pieces of tech 
that I've used. So at the moment, I'm like crash coursing in force plates and feel like I know quite a lot about how to use them efficiently. And I did it with launch monitors when they came out. It amazed me with both, both bits of tech is when I understood the numbers in the complicated way, I was then able to deliver really good, effective information to students in the simplest terms, more simple than I'd ever done prior to using them. So for instance, someone who had a swing path going or a club path going four left, there were situations where I would say to that student, can you swing to the right? And that was their lesson because they wanted to hit a draw and I moved their path and their face fall in the place and I could measure it. And they would say, is that it? And I would show them the numbers back to Michael's point earlier where you would quantify and say, you've come here asking to hit a draw. You've just swung four out to in, uh, sorry, into out with a face too close to a path. There's your draw. Like I don't, if I say anything else, I'm just going to be making it more complicated. So for me personally, I think it's made it much simpler to deliver really concise, shorter fixes the students rather than me having to explain club path and where their takeaway needs to be to hit that certain position. Michael, for you, has it become more complicated or simpler for the student with the use of your tech? Well, I would say this. I would say that for me, I've always tried to major in the simpler, right? So the, the technology has been great because I'm able to explain stuff to people, but I've always worked. My background is I'm dyslexic. And basically what that means is, is that I had a difficult time in school and my bad grades supported the fact that I had a difficult time in school, right? So what I always tried to figure out was, A, was I smart or not? And B, if I was smart, why was I not showing or providing evidence to be smart? And the truth is, is that I see things differently. I'm a, a very visual learner. And if I get into the analytical, I can get lost and I, that's part of how I have to teach myself. I have to use spatial uh, cues. And so for me, what I'm always trying to do and what I've always tried to do, and not just you know since you, you first started watching me on Golf Channel in 2009, but all the way back to 1988 when I was teaching on, a, on the back of a range at a nine hole club. My whole thing has always been try to master the simple and so that when somebody walks away, they can get better at it. it. It requires more work on my part, as I'm sure, Mark, you feel the same. You have to become aware of these new languages that people are speaking. But at the same time, what you have to do is, and I, it's a simple term, you have to be the interpreter. You have to be the, the person that knows all the language and then takes the language and then shifts it into a different language that the guy who you're teaching can speak and yeah, put it into their space. So I would say it's not really been harder or easier on them. It's been, it's been harder on me because I have more languages that I have to learn, but I'm still doing the same thing as I'm trying to, to help my students. Yeah, I like that. And Scott, for yourself, do you think it's got simpler or more complicated for the student or not sure? What do you think? So to, to me, I mean, again, I, I really don't have much of an opinion. I, I, do, I do think that using the correct terminology, again, it's an evolution from really bad terminology in the 1800s to better in the 1900s to better in the 2000s. So, you know, extension, inflection, like we need universal language. And so defining these terms that are correct, I mean, it's only a hard word until you learn it. 
you know, now angular momentum and all that. So like, okay, now, now we're talking Yeah, but physics. that's only because it's a, a new deal. term. That will become more obvious as the tech just demonstrates how important those motions are. Absolutely, 100%. And so somebody to tell, like at the top, if you had told that guy instead of take loft off or close the club face, you told him to give him more extension or flexion, whichever one it is, extension. Again, I'm still even learning. Well, actually, you know, it's flexion. funny because I posted something on Twitter. <laughs> huh? Like, uh, yeah, I posted something on Twitter just the other day and, and a guy corrected me and I actually took the time to think it through ish and still posted the wrong word. So I'm, again, that's the whole reason I've got, I don't have a thousand books, but I've got, uh, I got about 15 over here on my desk that I'm trying to work my <laughs> way through because I want to learn it because, you know, it, it doesn't need to be a, here's how smart no, I am contest, exactly but if there's right. a concise word. Yeah. But it's, and the other thing as well is it's got to start somewhere and it's always the front runners that often are demonize with it i mean i was very early using the term face the path i reckon i could go back 10 years on video content where i was using the term face the path because it's not my term Trackman invented it and they i learned it so i started using it because i saw it as a really important term for my students to understand that now it's a very common term that most people will understand who certainly have any kind of following a golf but I remember back in the day being absolutely ridiculed for using that term amongst my audience and pros, fellow pros would like ridicule me for using it. And I used to just think, well, like if we don't start pushing in one direction, uh, like with this, it'll go nowhere. We'll still be truths in the dirt kind of stuff if we don't start pushing this way. So I do think there's for and against to lose points with the terminology. Um, Lou, for you, is it simpler or hard? I mean, I guess you go to people who keep it simpler is what you're saying, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I think like everything else in golf, I believe that it's evolved and gotten better. And I, I think teaching is is no different. And in our last podcast with Michael, he, he talked about you know, aspirations are what led to, you know, distance gains. It's a big part of it. Well, you have uh, superintendents trying to get better and make a deliver a better product to players. You you have golfers trying to improve and get better. You have equipment companies trying to improve and get better. Well, teachers, you know, listening to you two talk and all of the effort that goes in behind the scenes to expand your knowledge um, as the game continues to evolve and we learn more and not only expand your knowledge, but get yourself to a point where you can take some very, very complex information and distill it down to, uh, to a message that people like me can understand, realizing that not everybody understands the same way that I do. And so you have to speak a thousand different languages. So I think instruction has gotten so much better for the student. And, you know, you earlier, I'm, I'm busting your chops about using confusing words for me, but all in all instruction has, if you had to put a number on it, it would be a pretty big number with how much it's improved over the years. And um, I think all of the technology that has come along with it certainly plays a role, but the effort that instructors are putting into understand more about the swing um, and how to help make students better, I think is, is equally as big as the technology that yeah, you're using. And maybe we should roll the instructors back. Maybe I need to get a pipe. I need roll to get back. a pipe and a flat cap <laughs> and then just stand on it or poke myself up on a little stick on the range and watch someone. The very first guy I took a lesson from in 1993 or 1992, I hit a few balls and he said, that's not going to work. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's a little different today than yeah. it was back so then. So that leads me on to our last question then. Where will it go next? And that's such a difficult question because obviously often with the technology side, it's much cleverer people than me or Michael or golf coaches. We're not specialists in, I mean, Trapman comes from ballistic um, um, research, basically. That's what Trapman is. It, it, it measures a projectile. Um, so where do we think it might go next? Michael, where, I mean, I'm seeing definitely force plates as the next big thing in, in coaching. What about yourself? Uh, well, look, that's, that is here and it's been here for a while. And I, I think that it will continue to be here for a while. But what I will tell you is what I honestly believe is our understanding of how to use the brain properly. I, I think that we will get into a space where um, we'll understand how and what happens, what part of the brain you're using, how to control that part of the brain to be able to perform in a, and we use this term uh, very loosely, more consistently, right? Um, if, if, you, if you go back to when somebody comes to you for a lesson and you ask them the question, why are you here? They're gonna tell you they wanna hit it farther, they wanna get rid of their slice or they want more consistency. Well, to me, consistency is the thing that is really sort of the, the one in the room that we're trying to figure out how to be better at. And I think Scott and Lou do a fantastic job of allowing us to perform better when we're inconsistent, right? We consistently hit inconsistent shots in a certain way. And so the question becomes, what can we do with our mind to allow us to be more consistent? And I think when we start to really delve into that and start to understand how to calm the brain and use the brain effectively and go down that path, that will be where I think this ends up going. We've seen the focus band. We've seen other things come out. I think we're going to continue to see that stuff, but it will become more prevalent. So that's where I, that's where I think it ends up going. I think, um, that, that what we have seen in, in our life, I mean, you look at the length of time that you've been teaching, the length of time I've been teaching, man, we have seen some phenomenal growth in instruction in the last 30 plus years, far greater than say from 1930 to 1960. I think from 1990 to 2020, it has been some of the greatest advance in instruction of any sport in it in any part of the world. It's really been amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I think a massive area as well for Scott and Lou, which are obviously very much into this, is the amount of students that do not collect any data on their, like well, at the moment, we're still using PGA tool data for lots of our comparisons. You know, I dial into companies like ShotScope's database when I'm talking to my students. I need to know if their patterns are the same as PGA Tour patterns. The finding out the patterns of different demographic of golfers, I think has massive potential to show where A, golfers can dedicate their time, B, where coaches can dedicate their time and efforts. Um, I'm pretty sure that's something, Lou, you would kind of go with. If I could offer you 50 plus billion data points from 10 handicappers to scratch and from 11 to 20 and so on, or wherever you wanted to break it down, you'd be like the happiest man on the planet, wouldn't you? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, obviously no you're question. using PGA tour data, which is great, but there's a big question of how much that relates to the average person as well. There's got to be some kind of, you know, there'll be some patterns where it actually doesn't relate to what the amateurs are doing, arguably without looking at the numbers. And Scott, would you, would you say that's fair? Cause obviously you've got a portal and you're collecting data points daily. So you are going to see patterns that maybe are different to PGA tour patterns. 
Well, I mean, I think that what Michael said, it really is, it's the next, I mean, it is, it is the evolution of the human going into deeper, you know, mental night. You know, I am on the record as being a huge Tony Robbins fan. I started listening to that guy back in 2013, 14, 15, which then led into Jim Rohn, which Tim Ferriss, and then Sam Harris. Sam Harris is a deep meditation guy. He's a super interesting character. But if you just start with Sam Harris, you'd be like, what in the world is this dude talking about? And you're not going to make it five minutes. Personally, it was the way that I got to stair step into it. And I really do think the idea of just, you know, like Tony Robbins, you change your state. That's, that's the first thing. If you're mad, upset, de depressed, anything, you start with changing your physiology. And technically what that also is, is just being able to pop in and out of these meditative states. But then to add on to that, you know, when I started working with Dr. Michael Larden out of San Diego back in 2008 and nine, we started tracking the mental scorecard, which the goal, it's, it's just a pass fail black or white after each shot. Was I committed to my shot? Did I know exactly what I was trying to do? When I pulled the trigger, was I totally present? It's yes or no. The goal is to get that to about 95%. When I first tracked it in one of those state ams that Lou found, I was at 88% in 2008. I then got it up. That's the year that I entered Q school as a 35 year old amateur. And I played the final stage of Q school back when it was six rounds. Uh, and out of, you know, 420 shots, my mental scorecard was 93%. So 7% of shots. I was self-diagnosed. I kind of didn't really know what I was trying to do with that shot. I mean, that's 30 shots in, 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 uh, in, in Q school and it's not one-to-one. -one. So I've had guys like Maverick McNeely, Andy Zhang, Will Zalatoris, these guys track the mental scorecard myself. And what we do then is within the app, everybody in college golf, well, everybody who tra tracks it in college golf, uh, when we take relative to par, their scoring average on a hole with a negative mental scorecard event compared to a hole with a positive mental scorecard event, it's 0.54 shots for each mental lapse. Wow. Now, it's hard to remove outcome from that, was I present or not. If I missed a four footer, it was kind of daydreaming. I'm easier to mark that as a negative mental scorecard event. But when I track it, Maverick, Zalatoris, again, a few guys that I really trust, we're, we're doing our best. It's about 0.25 to 0.33 shots yeah. per negative mental scorecard event. Now we're not going to get to hundred percent, but if I had taken that 93% and most of my tour players are in that 97 ish percent range. So that would be another, let's call it, you know, 10 to 12 to, you know, 13 shots at a third of a shot a piece, that's a lot of shots over six round and it's actually the exact amount I missed a PGA Tour card. So literally by not even doing anything better, but thinking better, more tiger-like if you will, because if you don't think that dude was at 100%, you're crazy. Well, this is really for the first time, honestly, there's not any other sports aside from maybe field goal kicking that you actually could, a pitcher can't come back after an inning and say like, well, on 14 of those 16 pitches, golf is really the only sport with enough time between each each you know, uh, uh, shot to rate this mental scorecard. So it's really the first time in history that I can kind of quantify how much not paying attention costs you. And so once people really start understanding that, and then again, you know, not to upsell the decade after, but start tracking that on your own. It should be 95%, everyone. There's yeah, the cheat absolutely. code. I mean, I think one of the interesting things in the terminology that you're using now, Lou's got a point to make. I'm coming back to you, Lou, is that people, I mean, I say the term now, which I never used to do, I would look at a round and count my putts. Oh, I had 34 putts this round. I wanted to keep it at 30. It's the terminology that Scott's using there now, which people could see massive gains of 0 0.23, 0 0.3, 0 0.1. If you think you can save shots, you are an amazing player. Can you save 0 0.2, 0 0.4, 0 0.1? 
on each shot or a selection of group of shots? Yes, you absolutely can. If you try and improve one or two shots every time, you're only going to be disappointed. It doesn't work like that. It, that's what's massively changed. Lou, sorry, you were going to make a point. Yeah, I want to go back to Michael's point on the mind being sort of the next frontier. And that's really interesting to me. And I agree with it 100%. Back uh, years ago, I coached youth travel youth hockey and junior hockey for years. And one of the players I was lucky enough to coach was Patrick Kane. I coached him when he was 12 years old. And we were about four games into the season, and the kid was phenomenal at 12 years old. He had this, the skills, the hand skills at 12 that he, you know, that he does now in the NHL is one of the best players in the world. And we're about four or five games into the season, and it's against a really tough team, and he has a phenomenal game. And he comes off the ice. I'm chatting with him after the game, and he said, you know, the game, it just seemed a little bit slower out there today to me. I'm like, well, what, what – what do you mean? It's like, well, when I play, when I get the puck on my stick, everything goes into slow motion. Like I'm watching, you know, like I take my VCR and I put it in slow motion. And like, this is the first time I've ever really heard that, you know, it's a 12 year old kid telling me, I'm like, I don't understand what you're saying, Patrick. He's like, well, everything just slows down. And it, it's like, I'm watching an instant replay on a football game on TV. And that's just what it seems like. And today it seemed a lot slower to me. So after that, I, I went and I learned a little bit about uh, how, you know, neuroscience has studied this and looked at this. And, and for some of these elite athletes, when they are in the zone or performing, everything slows down and they, they think they're able to take in so much more information and process so much more information that it, it gives the appearance that time is slowing down. And I've always wondered what that how that potentially could apply to other sports, you know, as uh, golf in particular, is it something I've been playing for years? So I'm in agreement with Michael that that is um, a, 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 a road that we can still go yeah, down and learn a whole it's lot. It's interesting, more isn't it? Because I watched a study once where it was taught, they talked about predicting the future. Humans are really good at predicting the future. It's one of the things that separates us from other animals and mammals and what have you. We're able to plan and go forwards. And they did a study on a baseball batter, is that what they're called? Receiving pitches. To hit that ball, they have to make so many calculations in such a small time in relationship to your point of seeing things slow down. Think of Federer receiving a serve. He is predicting the future to receive a serve going at 100x mile an hour. Um, and I do think that part of the brain has definitely um, got massive developments in golf as well, which is pretty much untapped. And I, I think Scott makes the reference to Tiger Woods. And I think, and he said it in a, quite a few pods. Um, and when he's not talk, talking, um, teaching 14 year olds to play like Tiger Woods, obviously that is. <laughs> 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 Private joke there, Michael. Um, Scott got in a little bit of a trouble. Um, I think it's something that we, I think, I yeah. <laughs> the offending yeah, yeah. party did. Um, I think it's something that we is very under understood and taken for granted maybe in that player's game a little bit, which is something you always reference, I think, Scott, isn't it? Again, I, I just, I say it all the time. Like, I, I think that Tiger's mother is as much to do with his success as a players as anyone and it's 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 not talked about enough but it's being talked about a little bit more and it's just her buddhist background which is heavy in meditation and you can just again you can just see it in tiger in 2019 i i really do believe that that is i mean it is just the difference maker and and i see it in myself and you know 
I, I try to be objective. I'm like, okay, I'm 47. I'm not dead broke like I was when I was in my 20s playing professional golf. I've got less testosterone. I don't really care if I shoot a good score or not. Like I'm aware of those things, but just in my day-to-day life, understanding, and this is where I hate saying stuff like this because I feel like a true meditation teacher's skin is probably crawling, but what Lou's talking about there is the time slowing down and all that the person is accidentally in a meditative yeah. state. Now, whether they can keep it up or not, it used to be this mystical, woo, how, how did you do that? It can be done intentionally. And that's the one thing that I personally, like I say, I'm, I, I hate saying it this way, but I'm going deep on yeah, it right now, good. man. I am really, I am really trying to be a guinea pig on this to see what does and doesn't work and how you transfer it out to the course, because there's just no question in my mind it's not about having no thoughts or about controlling your thoughts. It's about recognizing the ruminating thought pattern before it spirals out of control and you make a few bad decisions in a row. And then we all say, ah, if I could just go back 30 minutes, I'd do something different. You could not do something different 30 minutes ago because you weren't capable of it at that time. You've now seen the mistake. You now need to apply that moving forward, but nothing would have been different 30 minutes ago. You still would have had the same. Yeah. Decision making process. It's brilliant. Well, that's a really fun. I've enjoyed that chat. And I would say, Michael, um, it's basically, I think it's really exciting times ahead for coaches, isn't it? Like, I think we've got a lot to um, look forward to. It's untapped, isn't it? It's exciting times as a coach. I see it as exciting. I think some coaches see it as they get a bit worried because they don't want to learn. But I just, I get really excited by it. Well, I think it goes back to the terminologies. One of the things that I've been really hard on with the PGA of America is making sure that they call us coaches and not teachers. And to me, coaches is the thing that that makes this a 3D experience instead of a 2D experience. We, you, you hear Scott and Lou talk about, you know, the mind, Patrick Kane slowing things down. And, and there there's reams of history of, of great athletes talking about key moments and how things slowed down. And being able to do that, I was a I was a hockey goalie, and I can I can remember a game that I played where the puck literally it was like it was in water. It just and it would be shot, and I had I was I would move my glove hand and wait for the puck to get there, and and it was one of those things where coaches would come and go, man, that was an awesome you were awesome, Dave. No, it was just easy, and it's it, how do you get your brain to that state? I think that's the part of coaching that we still have to develop. Right now, I think when you look at what is going on instructionally, we are really, really good at how to make the body work properly and how to control the body. We're really bad in how to make the mind work. And I think the work that Scott and Lou are doing is getting us better at thinking properly, which is great. But now we have to tap into now, how can we get to where we're 97 or 98% effective and doing what we want to do? I call it focus. Can you really be focused on every single shot, concentrating on what you want to do? And I think that's the next frontier. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Hey, for, for those that uh, don't play hockey or have never played hockey, you need to be out of your mind. Yeah, to be a goaltender. Yeah. I'll just, I for the, the record, I'm going to say They're that. like drummers in bands, yeah. aren't they? They're always the crazy yeah. ones. I might get in trouble. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I might get in trouble for saying this, but well, I, well, I wanted a goalie. I wanted three things out of my goalie. I, want, I needed somebody that was big, yeah, dumb, yeah. and ugly. That's what I look I'm for in goaltenders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Well, brilliant. Thanks again for your time, Michael. As always, it's been Great a pleasure. pleasure. Lou and Scott, as always, 
thanks everybody for listening if you enjoy the podcast do leave us a review down below and give us some stars telling us in your review what you might want us to rap about next thank you everybody thanks for listening and we'll see you in the uh, in the next podcast